Time to Travel with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting with Martin Rodriguez, General Manager of Crockworld Conservation Centre, and Susan Pine-James, Manager of the Sfundum Velo Project, about their collaboration to teach school children about the environment. Tandi Shabalala is the Tourism Information Manager of Isimangaliso Wetland Park and Project Coordinator for the Half Marathon, which is about to be run there, and she'll be giving us the latest on the upcoming Isimangaliso St. Lucia Half Marathon and Fun Run, and this is taking place in the World Heritage Site, which is rather a rare occurrence. Mandy Young is an eco-psychologist, and she runs Nature Calls Adventures and Healing Power of Dolphin Experiences. And they've got some absolutely amazing adventures coming up this year, and so she'll be telling us all about those. Desmond van der Merwe is the Toti Athletics Club chairman, and he'll be joining us to give us the latest on the upcoming Dick King Marathon, which takes place this coming Sunday, the 29th of March. And finally, Kerry Harvey will be back with us again this week, and this time she'll be telling us about her visit to St. Petersburg in Russia. And then, just like my Law Report and Health Matters programs, there's now a short list of available documents for time to travel. You can find them on Facebook. Just go to Travel on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message there. But please do remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. Or you can email me directly to travel at safm.co.za. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, this month, Crooks Brothers Limited and Crockworld Conservation Centre announced their involvement with Svundemvelo, the environmental education programme of Isemvelo KZN Wildlife, to introduce and teach local school children about the environment. Joining me now, I have Martin Rodriguez, General Manager of Crockworld Conservation Centre, and Susan Pine-James, Manager of the Svundemvelo Project. Martin and Susan, good evening. Welcome to the show. Uh, good, evening. good evening. This is an amazing partnership. Martin, We, you and I have spoken on the show a number of times about the work that you do at Crockworld and the amazing projects that you have running there. And This is something all new for you. How did you get involved with this? Um, well, well, firstly, thank you for having us uh, once again on your show and um, thank you to all the listeners as well. Uh, this has been a very, very special pro- project for all of us. Uh, we were actually approached by, by Susan Pine James uh, to get involved um, on, on the actual project. And it's something that we are incredibly excited about and, and we're so happy that we've managed to get the first uh, phase through and actually have all the learners already visit both Crockworld and then the, the local um, nature reserve, Vernon Crooks um, nature reserve as well. So it's, it's really been something very special and I'm sure Susan will, will share the same sentiments as well. Susan, this is the, as I mentioned, the Environmental Education Program of the Isamvelo KZN Wildlife. You Currently, I think it's 250 schools already involved in your program. Yes, that's right, Karen. We've been um, operating for about three years now and expanded um, around, around the province. We have 250 schools, which incorporates about 7,000 grade 6 learners every year. Um, and we go back to the same school every year, so it's another 7,000 next year. So in total, we've reached probably about 30,000 kids already since we started. So what is this program all about? What are you doing with the children? It's, there's a, a two-pronged approach to it. First, firstly, because they're schools that are on the borders of our parks, it's important that we teach them about biodiversity conservation and why the park's there. So during the, um, during the program, they will go into one of the parks 
on a day trip where they get an activity book and they talk all about the park and the issues and, and just have a lot of fun as well. These kids come from the poorest of the poor schools and don't often get to, to go on excursions and things. So, so it's a lot of fun for them as well, but they are learning. We also then work with the teachers and do teacher workshops to help them incorporate environmental messages into the classroom, which is often a difficult thing to do. But a number of the subjects they teach are actually biodiversity-related subjects. For instance, in natural sciences in grade 6, they learn about ecosystems. So we provide a hands-on workshop for the teachers where they can experience a, an ecosystem and, and um, be able to identify the different elements of it and be able to then go back into the classroom and teach the children. So you're almost and taking so, them out of the book into the reality, effectively. Exactly. That's exactly what we try and do. And they don't get otherwise. And Martin, when they arrive at Crockworld, and I was reading some of the things that you do with them. I mean, it must be you must be so popular. I mean, the things like I think you do the snake, the crocodile feeding, and then you've got the snakes there, and all these things that normally kids are quite frightened of, and yet you're going to show them why they are essential to the whole ecosystem itself. Well, well, definitely, and I think it's important as well um, to mention that that Crockworld Conservation Centre. We've we've been around since 1985. We mm. actually going to be turning 30 on, on the 27th of March this year. And um, over the years, and right from, from the start of the park, one of the core messages has always been education um, and creating awareness about the environment and about the animals um, and plants and so forth that, that they may encounter. And with this project itself, the staff which we have obviously working at the park, um, myself included, we, we've got a very, very strong focus on, on the educational side of things still. And we've had this year over 7,200 school learners that have actually visited our, our park um, from March, uh, from April last year. And um, so for us, it's something that we've, we're quite accustomed to dealing with, with um, school children of various ages from sort of grade one and sometimes up until high school learners. So for us, it's, it's, it's so nice to be able to share our passion and share what we are very um, enthusiastic about and actually get the kids to, to feel the same way. And the most important thing is that people don't always necessarily get the opportunity to see um, animals out in the wild. Um, and by bringing them to, to the park, uh, they actually get to see crocodiles up close. They get to see a variety of snake species that some of them they may have uh, you know, seen in the areas where they stay. And, and it's so important that the person who's dealing with, with the school children and with the, the staff that, that come along on the excursion from, from the Swindon Vela program, they are absolutely fantastic with the kids as well. So between the staff at Crockworld and, and, and the staff involved in the program, I think the kids were really, really in good hands. And, and I'm absolutely confident that core messages of the biodiversity and the importance of ecosystems and just an awareness about nature and the environment is something that they'll all be able to take home with them and hopefully not only share that with their parents um, and their neighbors and their friends, but grow up with that, that sense of understanding of why it is important to have the environment and, and the fact that we should look after it. And the younger that you're able to do so with the learners, the better it is for them. Susan, by the sounds of it, Crockworld was an absolute ideal fit for your project. They were absolutely brilliant. The kids, first of all, went to the Vin Cook's Reserve, 
and then afterwards went to, to Crockworld. So they were able to see the bigger picture and then be able to focus in on the different elements and they um, studied the food web at, 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 the, at um, Crockworld as well. But it was just incredible to see these little faces when the snakes came out and when the crocs came closer for a feed and things was, was absolutely amazing. And you know, you know what's absolutely important is, I don't know if you remember, but when I was at school, the things that I remember of our day trips. Yeah, absolutely. And our, and yes. our things. I, yeah, what, what happened to the biology class is a mystery, but I remember yeah. <laughs> everything about our activities. And that's what these kids will remember. They'll remember it for the rest of their lives. And hopefully it's a positive impression that'll, that'll, that they'll take forward with them. And when they come to make decisions later in life, they'll make it with an ecological knowledge. And how, I mean, is this going to be an ongoing project, Susan? Well, I certainly hope so. Um, Crooks Brothers have been fantastic. They sponsored um, all the activity books to be printed. And, of course, we were sponsored at Croc World. So it's a, it would be wonderful if we can continue it um, on an annual basis so that every year the grade sixes have the same opportunity and um, to, to, to experience Croc World and Vernon Crooks. But something like this, I mean, it gives people or the children that you, you're taking there, it's giving them a whole new perspective on a whole lot of things. And, you know, you, you think to yourself, you know, if they're being exposed to something like this at this sort of age, it might even influence what they want to do one day when they leave school. I mean, they could end up wanting to work in conservation, for example. Absolutely. In fact, one of our interns who I traveled with yesterday, I asked her, how did you get into conservation? And she said, when I was at junior school, we went on an outing. And I decided that that was what I wanted to do the rest of my life. Oh, so <laughs> there's a practical example. It can actually happen. And we certainly hope that, that people will follow that course. Or if they go into business or into government, that they will remember this when they come to make decisions about developments and, and um, different aspects of, of their careers. Now, the project that you work with, I mean, it's not just a case of taking the children on outings. From what I've read, you also encourage them to do things at the school. I mean, there's the Clean and Green project. There's, you know, they're creating vegetable gardens. It's a whole lot more than just a let's go on an outing. Absolutely. We try and get them to look after the environment in which they live as well. So they become aware of the litter and how to get rid of, how to recycle and, and clean up their schoolyard, plant indigenous trees and get rid of all the aliens in the area. And then, of course, the government's very keen on the school, on the school garden program, so we encourage them to, to um, grow their own vegetables. And, in fact, a number of our schools are, are growing enough vegetables to either sell to the community or to sell back into the school feeding scheme, which is brilliant. Now, Martin, whenever we chat, you've always got something exciting coming up or about to happen, or you're going to be giving a talk on something. And by the time <laughs> I talk to you, it's already sold out. So let's give people, have you got any sort of forward-thinking tips here for people who want to come along that hasn't yet sold out? What's coming up at Crockworld? Well, you know, there's always something yes. on the go um, at, at the centre. Um, our next uh, talk instalment is going to be taking place on the 11th of, of April. And it's going to be a very, very special talk, completely different to, to the talks we've had. This talk is actually going to be a celebration. As mentioned to you a few minutes ago, that Crockworld's going to be turning 50. Mm. Um, you know, the company Crooks Brothers Limited has been going for 100 years, but, but Crockworld itself um, is now turning 50, which is something special, um, especially to, to the lower South Coast region. Uh, it's been a tourist attraction for many years. So what we are going to be doing is we're actually going to be having a talk 
which will focus on, on the history of the park, celebrating, you know, the achievement of, of turning 30 years. And we've got a lady by the name of uh, Mrs. Alsa Puli, which is a, an incredible lady. Um, she's a very, very well-known uh, person in, in um, the landscaping business. She's also someone which is very, very dear to our hearts because um, her late husband, Mr. Tony Puli, actually was the gentleman in charge of, of opening Crockwell. And she was obviously involved with the park for many, many years and responsible for all of the, the plants that you would see there now, which she planted in, in the early 1980s when the park was opened. And she's going to be the lady that will be leading the talk and, and be showing us or showing everybody who will be in attendance um, images of, of the park throughout the years and telling of special stories and incidences that happened at the park as well. So it's, it's going to be a celebration, but also for people coming in which haven't attended a talk, there will also be core messages which will, will relate back to gardening on the, on the South Coast and, and what to plant and, and why and so on. It's, it's really going to be quite a, a, a special talk for me as well. Um, to be involved with, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, and that's on the 11th of April. Well, that's great. I'll give out the website in a moment, and people can go and have a look, and if you want to go, if you know from previous experiences, you need to book early, because they sell out very fast. Well, Martin yeah, and Susan, sure. thank you both very much indeed for joining me on the show, and I wish you much success with this project, Susan. It sounds amazing. You're doing fantastic work, and well done to Crockworld for getting involved in all of this, and uh, long thank may you. it last. Well, perfect. Thank, thank if you I so can much. Just finish off by just saying that, um, you know, with regards to, to the whole program, I just want to say a special thank you to Susan and to the team of, of Swindon Bella as well. And it's, it's fantastic for, for business like ourselves to get involved with the government um, department and, and be able to really show that, that there is possibilities out there for business to get involved in such initiatives. And I do encourage others to do the same. Well, let's end on that very positive note. Hopefully they're out there listening and we'll think more about doing the same thing. Martin and Susan, once again, thank you both very much indeed for your time this evening. Only a thank you so much. Thanks Karen. so much. Good night to you. Good night. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Martin Rodriguez is General Manager of Crockworld Conservation Centre and Susan Pine-James is Manager of the Svundumvelo Project. For more information on Crockworld and to try and book for one of those talks, you can take a look at the website. It's crockworld.co.za. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, it's that time of the year again. It's time for the Isimangaliso St. Lucia Half Marathon and Fun Run. Now, you may remember my colleague Stephen Kirker did the marathon last year, and he came back to tell us all about it. And now he let me know it was about to happen again. So to tell us more, I'm joined this evening by Tandi Shabalala, and she's Tourism Information Manager of Isimangaliso Wetland Park and Project Coordinator for the Half Marathon. Tandi, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen. This is rather a unique event because it's taking place in a World Heritage Site. I mean, that's rather rare. It is indeed, and South Africa's first World Heritage Site for that matter. So this is coming up. When is it happening, and can people still join in? Oh, yes. Um, um, Registration is open already. This will be taking place on Sunday, the 10th of May, in St. Lucia Town. So, so we are open already for registration on our website, isimangaliso.com, or you, we can email a form to everybody that uh, calls in for a form or at our offices and all our nearest um, li- li- um, libraries and um, um, schools that are around us. So for those who don't know what Isimangaliso is all about, do tell them because it is the most spectacular place. Um, Isimangaliso is located on the 
northeastern KwaZulu Natal, 210 kilometers north of Deben. Starts from a place called Mapelane, and it goes along the coast all the way to the border of South Africa and Mozambique. So it is a World Heritage Site. It was a site that was proclaimed um, in December 1999 for having the natural beauty, the biodiversity, the different um, um, habitats that we have here, and also the ecological processes that occur in the area. So it's quite unique. Now, there's quite a lot of things, activities, if you like, that the park has to offer. Would you like to just tell the listeners what those all are? Oh, yes. Um, Because of the different ecosystems that the park has, it is able to offer a range of activities. The park has, amongst the ecosystems that we have, the wetlands, the hyacinth dunes, also the marine section, which is part of um, the park. So we are able to offer activities on on the ocean, the whale tours, because the whales come to breed along our shores, and we have turtles that come to nest on our shores on the St. Junes. So we offer also turtle tours. There's deep-sea fishing. There's also activities um, in land. You can do game drives to see the big five. There's also um, activities on the, wet, on, on the lake systems, like boat cruises that are quite popular. People can go, go on a boat cruise and see hippos, see crocodiles, the bed life, we have an amazing bed life in Ismangaliso. And in, in the area that is uh, 332,000 hectares, there's 526 bed species. So it's quite, it's quite rich. And there's a diverse um, a, a range of animals that you can find here. And so uh, are the activities that we have. Gosh, it's like a one-stop holiday. I mean, it's everything. You don't even have to go to more than one place. It's all there. Oh, definitely. You can just do a game drive, and then within minutes of your game drive, you're right at the beach. And now we've topped it all with these uh, sporting activities that have been brought in. That's amazing. It's, I mean, you listen to this and you think, well, why have I been driving from this destination to that destination and then somewhere else? I can just go to one place and see everything. And get it all. Get it all in one and place. <laughs> now, now this, this half marathon and the fun run, who, who can take part in this? I mean, is this something that you have to be a pro athlete for? Who can come along for this? Not at all. It's open for family because it, it is a half marathon. There's a 21.1 kilometers, which is a half marathon, but there's also a, a 10 uh, kilometers walk or run. There's a five kilometers walk or run. And then there's a kiddies um, uh, run. It, it's a fun run, which is two kilometers. So the entire fam- family can come and have fun. Gosh, so the, as you said, it's something for everybody. Definitely. And are all the, as you said, the applications all on the website, isimangaliso.com. People can just go on there. I think I looked on there. You click on the events tab and then you'll yes. find all the information on, on, the, on the half marathon. It's all there. And they can just register there or contact you via the website. All the contact details are on there. That is correct. The event has been taking place now. This is the sixth year. So people are already um, coming in asking questions as to when it is um, taking place again this year. And we are happy to say that we are expecting the numbers to grow and we are still inviting everyone who's anyone to please come and join us. And this is for a very good cause because from apart, uh, apart from uh, this being a, a fun activity for everyone, getting the communities together to come into the park and, and learn about the park, 
and also um, it does also contribute to conservation because there's a 30% um, of, of the intake of the registration fees that goes straight to conservation. It for um, endangered species that we have in the park. Oh, that's nice. And you're actually doing something worthwhile. Are you limiting the numbers, Tandi? Not at all. Not at all. At the moment, we are still expecting the event to grow. So we, we're not looking at, at, at uh, limiting the numbers as yet. Well, so this is all happening on the 10th of May. When do applications close so people can get their applications in? We will even be... Um, taking in registration or, or applications on the day, oh, on wow, the 10th. Okay. So um, we will have, at the moment, the, what we call pre-registration, where we are giving free giveaways like T-shirts and things like that to the first three, 300 people that will register. But um, through right all up, and up until um, the day of the event, we will still be taking registration. Well, if people are wanting to go off and do a half marathon or a fun run or a fun walk, in a very unique place, somewhere that you'll never be able to do this anywhere else in the country, or possibly even in the world. It's in a World Heritage Site, and it's an I tell extremely you, uh, rare. Karen, the, the route is very, it, it gives you just this diversity, because uh, part of it runs through some trails that go on the Estuarine Forest, and then it goes through the town, the small St. Lucia town, and, and to some sections of the game reserve as well. Wow. Okay. So if you're looking for something very different, something absolutely unique, you won't find this anywhere else. I suggest you go and book your place and go off and enjoy this happening on the 10th of May. Tandi, thank you so much for joining us on the show and telling us about that. Hopefully lots more people will arrive now and come and enjoy Isimangali. So it sounds like a wonderful, wonderful day is going to be had. So thank you for your time this evening. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. Only a pleasure. Good night to you. Good night. Tandi Shabalala is the Tourism Information Manager of Isimangalisa Wetland Park, and she's Project Coordinator for the Half Marathon, and that's happening on the 10th of May. And if we would like more information or if you'd like to get yourself registered, you can take a look at the website. It's isimangaliso.com. Just click on the Events tab. You'll see it there when the page opens. Click on the Events tab, and it will tell you everything you need to know and how you can actually get registered. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, Mandy Young is a psychotherapist with 30 years' experience taking a journey with people of all ages towards good mental health and great relationships. But she's also an eco-psychologist and she runs Nature Calls Adventures and Healing Power of Dolphin Experiences. Now, she joins me now to tell us more about these amazing adventures. Mandy, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, Corin. Thank you for this opportunity to express my passion. Well, it is a passion because I was reading about some of the things you do. And, you know, I, I, I introduced it right at the very beginning of the program from the heading on one of the emails you sent me. It said, Nature Calls Adventures, The Path Less Traveled. Now, this is what, from what I can gather, you take people on these absolutely incredible adventures, but it's not all just about going off on an adventure. It's a deeper thing. Yeah, this began for me when I needed to return to the bush as uh, remembering that it was a place of healing for me, a place of nurturing, a place of defining myself. And I realized that the lessons that I was learning, the insights I was gaining was not just for me and led to a much broader understanding that good mental health and environmental sustainability go hand in hand. So I'm looking for those uh, people who want to make a difference in their lives, who want to make a difference in the world, but have a whole lot of fun having a great adventure. 
Now, some of the things that you do are, are, I haven't seen anybody else doing these things. Tell us a little bit about the adventures that you have got planned for this year. I think what I like about the adventures is the combinations. I have wild men, wild waters, and wild dogs. This is a combination between spending time with uh, the Bushmen in the Kalahari um, at Victoria Falls and then going across to spending some time with the wild dogs in Hoangye National Game Reserve. I have monkeying around, which is a great opportunity to spend some time with the mountain gorillas in the Ruangira Volcanoes National Reserve in Rwanda, and also six species of primates, including the chimpanzees in the Nyungwe Forest. There is also some time in a very different country in Italy. I I call it uh, Wild Trails and Dolphin Tales. It's in a little place called Cinque Terre, which is five little fishing villages and you walk between the villages and we also have some time in the sea with some of the beautiful dolphins. We have uh, Wilderness and Warriors. This takes place in East Africa. It's where you spend time in the Salu Game Reserve in this incredible wilderness space where you don't see people for ages and then go across the people who really know are the masters of the bush, the Kenyan bush, the Maasai. And we have some time learning from them about different medicines in the bush, tracking animals, making spears, and doing really wild things. I think it's quite a life-changing experience. It changes perspectives. It gives people to question their value systems, what makes life happen, where do they really want to go to in their lives, and really begin to dream again. I love this. I mean, for example, there's one. I, I, you've got one called Love the One You're With Whale Trail, and it's at the Dehoop Nature Reserve here in South Africa, so it's quite local. And you say here that many of us need a bit of time out, some fun, some nurturing and added wisdom to really enjoy the most worthwhile relationships in our life with our life with the life partners that we've chosen. I mean, so it's, what I'm saying is that you, you're doing all these wonderful things, but underneath it all, there's just that little bit extra. That's that. Well, I think at the end of the day, it will it will change somebody's life. It will give you that little bit more um, insight, possibly into yourself. Yes, I think we we spend so much. I, I think I like the quote by Henry Thoreau. He says, "Most of us spend our lives in quiet, dull desperation, with uh, absolute mediocrity." And then we take a holiday, and it's an amazing experience, but within days we've forgotten about it. And my particular role is quite an informal one, but just to encourage a little bit of reflection, a little bit of time out to think about what you've just experienced. And I try to ground that for people in personal, take-home, life-transforming insights. That also extends sometimes to work with corporates and with sports people, because I think very core to being a team is how you define yourself. I think when you know who you are, you know really well how to fit together in a team. And when you spend time with wild animals who are so well adapted to their environment and they have these incredible strategies to survive, it just gives you some competitive, out-of-the-box advantage 
in terms of looking at those strategies and considering them, thinking about them in terms of how they can be adapted for our current circumstances. And I think particularly in terms of personal relationships that are so important, so critical, like marriage, I think it's just so wonderful to have some time out to just nurture those really incredible, those really amazing relationships that sometimes you really take for granted and don't give too much time and attention to. We always seem to be all so busy these days. You know, we sort of dash past each other. And it's nice just yes. to go off and just, you know, be together for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and very, just very enjoy important. each other. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Mandy, were your healing dolphin trips as well. Tell me a little bit about that because you also have this current, the virtual and actual dolphin-human interaction research as well that you work with certain types of people on, the, on that particular project. But anybody can go on your dolphin trips. Yes, I think uh, swimming with wild dolphins is on many people's bucket list. I think... Innately, we're kind of drawn to that incredible experience of being in water and having this beautiful species come and choose to swim with us. I think dolphins in particular have an incredible healing capacity, both physically and emotionally. When we're with them, they give us a sense of well-being, a sense of joie de vivre, and Physically, they have this uh, sonar capability that really seems to scan your body, sometimes realign body systems, stimulate immune systems, have been even known to really break down cancerous tumors, have been known to um, really help people who've been chronically depressed for many, many years. So I am doing uh, virtual and actual human-dolphin interaction experiences. The virtual experiences are for those people who can't actually get to swim with the dolphins. So it's a way of having an experience seeing dolphin uh, visualizations and with dolphin sounds and Aborigine sounds, which have been very impactful. I've tried it with uh, some of the cancer patients that I've worked with, and it's had quite a profound effect. The particular groups of people I am I'm working with or wanting to work with are those people dealing with depression, people dealing with loss, either through divorce or bereavement, amputees with phantom pain, and children who've been diagnosed with cognitive delays or um, attention deficit disorder. Quite incredible. I mean, you know, you think it's of the dolphin and you think it can do all these things. It's just quite remarkable that we are able to interact with them like we do. Um, people, I think, often worry about us as humans interacting with a wild animal. How do you actually get that to the point where it's, it's, it's good for us but also good for them? Well, with the dolphins in particular, I work with a researcher in um, Mozambique who's had 16 years of experience working with a, with a group of dolphins in a particular area. And what I like about working with her is that they have a very strong code of conduct. So they wouldn't put the water, people into the water with the dolphins if it was going to be in any way threatening to the dolphins or if the dolphins are engaged in a specific behavior like sexual behavior or uh, they have very young dolphins with them. So I like that. And... We engage with the dolphins in a way that the dolphins come to us. So it's by their choice. 
in other situations with wild dogs, uh, elephants, more lions, I, I work with the guides who are very well trained in those areas and the situations are very safe. So, so, because a lot of people would be concerned about that. How are we are, are, are we having an impact on these wild animals? And as you say, that is not at all a problem because you are working with people who are well versed in how to work with these animals. Yes, and I have my own ethics. I would never work with somebody who is harassing wild animals or disturbing their natural behavior. I think we have this incredible privilege to spend time with them, but then we need to be very respectful of them, very respectful of their comfort zones. And in fact, I would like to think that when people have a really healing or a very moving, life-changing experience with a particular animal or dolphins, that they will then want to be more conservationary. I guess I could give an example of the Wisdom of Elephants experience that I facilitated. And the lady who participated, uh, she came from a very, she came from a divorce situation. It had been quite bitter. She was a little bit overweight. And after this experience with the elephants, she decided to downscale from a house to a flat. And she was going to use money to do what she'd always wanted to do, which was to to learn how to fly a small, light aircraft. And one year later, she'd done that, and she was doing her first pilot lesson. She now flies for the Bataliers, which wow. is a conservation group. That's incredible. So it ha- it's really a life-changing experience. And, uh, Mandy, if people are wanting to find out more about this, would they just go on to naturecalls.co.za? Would they find all this information there? They can do, and they can also go on to swim-with-dolphins.co.za, and all my contact details are there. And all the different trips that you do and the experiences that you offer, they'll find all that information, and the dates, if they want to find out more, they can probably just email you. That that would be good. I look forward to um, experiencing or facilitating some amazing experiences for people who contact me. Well, it sounds like a life-changing event if you go off and enjoy one of these trips with Mandy. Mandy, thank you so much for your time. It's been very enlightening to listen to all of this. Very, I'm actually quite amazed by some of the things you've told us this evening. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you, Karen. Thanks, Mandy. Good night to you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now, I was chatting there with Mandy Young, and as I mentioned, she's a psychotherapist. She's also an eco-psychologist, and she runs Nature Calls Adventures and Healing Power of Dolphin Experiences. If you'd like to find out more, there's two websites. One is naturecalls.co.za, and the other one is swim-with-dolphins.co.za, and all the information about her tours and everything is on there, and you can be in touch with her, and she can tell you the dates and the times and all those sorts of things if you're interested. But it sounds like, as I said earlier, an absolutely life-changing event. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, the popular Dick King Marathon is scheduled to take place this coming Sunday, the 29th of March. And joining me now is Desmond van der Merwe, chairman of the Toti Athletics Club. Desmond, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Nice to hear your voice. Well, I was quite surprised. I looked at your website. I see your registration has, has closed on Monday. So no one can come and take part, but they can certainly come and watch you. Not actually. Uh, the registrations, the, the pre-entries have closed, being a pre-entry event. But mm. on Saturday between 10 and 4, you can come and register oh, at the so, main beach. Okay. 
Um, so yes, you still have a chance. And I thought, oh my gosh, all these people now suddenly thinking, oh, but I wanted to do that, and because I, I looked on your website, is it entries have closed? And I thought, oh no. So, but they can on Saturday, as you said, come and yes, do that. Yes, that's correct. They can come on Saturday still. Yes. But you've been going now what for about forty years now. This yes, this you're big... right. This, uh, we've been doing this uh, race since 1976. Sure, that's incredible. Yeah, it's 39 years, yes. So why did you call it the Dick King Marathon? I mean, I know who Dick King was, but I mean, why did you decide to call that this the Dick okay, King Marathon? Um, the reason being the Dick, the Dick King run is run along part of the route taken by Dick King on the historic 10-day uh, horse yes. ride in 1842. Um, yeah, so that's why we called it the Dick King. It's in memory of Dick King. Okay, so tell me about the actual event, because it is quite it's a spectator event as well. People can come down and cheer you on and watch you running. and all. It's a whole big day of, of, of fun, not just for the people taking part. Oh, yes, it's a, it's a lot of fun because the race starts in the Mamsin Toto on Beach Road, and it heads out towards the Lovo, uh, running through Warner Beach next to the Indian Ocean, lovely scenery and all that. And uh, we've got walkers as well. There's a 15K walk and a 21-kilometer run, so... Yeah, no, it's um, it's a lovely route and it's always well supported. And are you, have you limited the numbers of people that can take part? Yeah, we've limited to 1,000. And how, how far up to that number are you well, at Right this point? now we've got about 700 entries and I estimate we're probably going to get 200 to 300 on the on the Saturday. Wow, okay. So, yep, I think we're going to reach our, our, our goal. Great. And by the size of it, as you mentioned, it's going to be quite fun. I mean, there's prizes and all sorts of things for people taking part. Oh, yes. Uh, the first prize is 1,200 rand um, open, and then there's second 100 and 300. That's for the runners. And then we also have for the walkers, there's 300, 250, and 200, uh, as well as category prizes for first positions. That's uh, between 35, 39, et cetera, et cetera. So, and also um, the main thing of the of the race is obviously to try and break the record, which stands at about 105 for 21 kilometres. Sure, that, that's quite amazing. How do, you, <laughs> how, how, how do you do, Desmond? Are you going to go for the time? Well, being on the committee and the chairman, we are not allowed to run the race. We oh. are the hosts. So uh, we actually had our race last weekend, so we actually um, all manning tables and helping out on the day. Yeah. So tell me a bit about Turkey Athletics Club. How long have you been going? Tokyo Athletics Club started in 1974. It was called the Pavia Harriers in those days, and then in 1975 it became a Manson Tokyo Athletic Club. So, yeah, it's been going for 40 years. Gosh, and so almost as long as the race itself. Almost as long as the race itself, yes. And we also host another race uh, this year as well, which is the Gossendorf um, uh, Marathon in October. So we do two races a year for the public. Well, the thing about where you're running, I mean, as you mentioned, it was a part of the Dick King route that he uh, that he took. Yes. But it's a spectacular sort of part of the world. I mean, very picturesque route you've got there. No, it's, it's awesome because, as I say, you run along the beachfront and along the main road. And, yeah, it, it's it's an awesome route. And there's, there's a couple of hills. And, it, yeah, it's challenging as well. So this is, I mean, pretty much anybody can enter this. As, you know, as you said, it's a walk or anybody run. Can and enter. Um, According to KZN, the rules are you have to be 15 years and older to run a 15 and 16 years and older to run a 21. Oh, okay. Um, we have athletes up to 70 running <laughs> and 70 years are free entry. Wow, okay. So it's not actually just for pro runners. I mean, novices can enter as well. No, no, no. There's all, all sorts. Eh? <laughs> so it's like a fun day. It's not just for all those that sort of... It's a fun day. We have an awesome DJ down there on the beachfront. The atmosphere is great. And all the restaurants above and below, and it, it's, yeah, and the waves breaking, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I was just reading you, I mean, you really, I've got all the right things on, on, on hand as well. I mean, the rescue bus, I think I'd be on that from the start. Yes, yes, there is a um, rescue bus too, just in case somebody's tired. 
as well as the ambulance on the route. And the chiropractors on hand, to, you know, those are always the good ones. So they, they must be the very busy. Technicon chiropractors will be there. And, yeah, people make full use of that. Yeah, they must be very busy at the end of the race. With all these very people. busy, very busy, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like an amazing day, though. I mean, and, and as you said, it's been going every year now for 40 years, so it must be a very popular thing. To, if yeah, that's if, correct. And, of, of course, every runner will get a, a nice bright orange T-shirt, which is the color of our club. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It sounds amazing, Desmond, and I wish you a fabulous day. I mean, it sounds like you're going to be having a lot of fun. And as I said, it's not just for those who are, are taking part as runners. Okay. You can go along and watch. I mean, because it should be a lot of fun. And there's, as you said, DJs and all sorts of other things going on oh, there. Oh, no, it's awesome, man. The atmosphere is so great. So go and, along. Um, Tokyo is recognized for, for hosting a, an, an amazing race always. That's, I think we would get a lot of our support from people keep on coming back. Apparently, I mean, 40 years later, you're still going strong. So yeah. if, you, if you're not going to be running, go down and have a, have a look. Go and watch. Get involved. Have a great day. It sounds like a load of fun. Desmond, thank you so much yeah. for joining us on the show. And I wish you a fabulous day on Sunday. Yeah, thanks, Cora. Thanks for the interview. Thanks so much. Good night okay. to you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Desmond van Merwe is chairman of the Toti Athletics Club. And if you'd like to find out more about the upcoming Dick King Marathon, I was mistaken. I thought the entries had closed because that's what it said on the website. But apparently, you can still enter if you go to... Toti Beach on Saturday. You can go and enter there. And But if you'd like to find out more, there is a website. It's TotiAC. So it's T-O-T-I-A-C dot C-O dot Z-A. Time to travel with Karen Key. Kerry Harvey's back again this evening and I literally am turning green with envy before I even start talking to her because she spent some time in the one place that is right at the very, very top of my bucket list. She went to St. Petersburg in Russia and that is somewhere that I would love to go, mainly because of the Hermitage Museum. I want to really go and see that. Anyway, Kerry's going to tell us what she did while she was there and if you want to follow her and find out what it is that she does all over the place, you can have a look at her website. It's kerryharvey.com. It's K-E-R-I hyphen harvey.com and Kerry has been sailing all over the Baltic on a sh- ship called the Windstar, which is part of, well, she was on the Windsurf, which is part of the Windstar line and uh, having a fabulous time and then hopped off and went to my place, St. Petersburg. Kerry, I'm very jealous. Good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Corin. Good so to be back. Do tell me about St. Petersburg. I really, you have to tell me it was fabulous. Was it fabulous? It was absolutely fabulous. And I have to tell you that entering St. Petersburg by ship is absolutely spectacular. The cityscape, it honestly looks like an oil painting. It is truly magnificent. Now, it's one of those places we've seen so often, uh, pictures and postcards and movies, and you sort of see those onion domes and the bright colors and very vibrant. Is it really like that? It is. The churches certainly are um, extremely vibrant, and they have a knack for the most beautiful mosaics. Um, They literally do thousands of square meters of mosaics in their churches, and it's very hard to tell that they're mosaic from a distance. It actually looks like painting. Some of them look like watercolors, some like oils, and it's all these minuscule little tiles that have taken, oh, I can't imagine how long to do, but it's truly stunning and, and the real deal, real art. Now, St. Petersburg sort of had a few name changes in its day. We've ended up at St. Petersburg. I mean, it's been Russia's capital for over about 200 years now, and it was Petrograd, Leningrad, and now it's St. Petersburg. 
Indeed, yes. So a Petrograd, you know, being St. Petersburg in, in Russian, I guess, um, and back to St. Petersburg. So, yeah, it was, it's named, I believe, after Peter the Great. He was um, quite flamboyant, and he's left his mark all over the city as well. And certainly in Peterhof, which is just outside of, of St. Petersburg, about 30 kilometers out of the city, and that was his summer palace. And I'd been told, you know, if there's one thing you do, get to Peterhof. And it is completely mind-blowing. Um, the, you know, the vastness of the palace, the, you know, the intricacy and detail within the palace, um, you know, the, the treasures and artworks, it's completely mind-blowing. You really can't take it in. And uh, you're also not allowed to photograph inside the palace. You have to keep walking. You may not hesitate. And there's some stern-looking um, Russian woman sitting in the corners of the rooms to make sure you do that. Um, but it is, it's absolutely breathtaking. Why can't you photograph anything? Well, I'm not too sure. Russian security, I guess. Um, wow, okay. They still are quite security conscious. And um, I'm not sure what you might be able to do with your photographs. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no cameras. Keep walking. Just, you know, remember, look with your eyes and, and save to memory. Right. So these fabulous churches and things back in the Soviet era, they were repurposed, unfortunately, but they're back now. They're back now. They were repurposed, and it's actually, you know, to try and just let your mind go and imagine what St. Petersburg looked like during the Soviet era, it's, it's quite difficult because these magnificent, you know, multicolored onion dome churches um, were repurposed as some were swimming pools. They actually built swimming pools inside them, public pools. Others were ice rinks. Um, I believe one was even a mortuary and a theater storeroom. It's just crazy that they have all since, you know, been been spruced up and restored absolutely beautifully. Probably the, the most beautiful church in, in St. Petersburg, and there are lots. There are, I believe, about 300 churches in St. Petersburg. But the most beautiful is the Church on Spilt Blood, which is the classic, you know, checkerboard, multicolored onion dome church that looks a lot like um, St. Basil's in Moscow on Red Square. Absolutely stunning with, again, thousands of square meters of mosaic work inside and incredible detail outside as well. It's, it's very, very photogenic. The one thing that was rather sad that I read was that they even painted some of the gold domes. They painted them grey. They did, and that was actually during during the war. They painted, because the gold domes are so shiny from the air, or from anywhere really, they painted them grey so they were less visible from the air to be destroyed. And um, But that has all been removed and, you know, the domes beautifully restored so they're all gleaming again. I really have to ask you, because this is my destination of my dreams, is the Hermitage. The Hermitage. The Hermitage is a city of its own. It is so huge. It's multi-story in the heart of St. Petersburg. And it is just crammed with rare art. I mean, it's, it's Russia's biggest art collection by far. It's, you know, where the Fabergé eggs live mm. and many other things. But I believe that there are around three million art pieces inside the Hermitage. And, uh, you know, they always, when, when things are so grandiose and so inconceivable, they always try and dumb it down for people like me. <laughs> so I was told that if you looked at everything for a minute, it would take 11 years. 
So you oh, need some time when you okay. go there, Corin. I'm not going to have 11 years to just to be walking around the Hermitage, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm not going to go into too much detail with you about the Hermitage, Kerry, because otherwise I'm just going to turn even greener. Um, but now, going off to see all of this stuff, there's this whole thing about the visa story. What is that exactly? Well, there's a, it's a strange system, actually, when you get to Russia. If you're on a cruise ship, you do not need a Russian visa if you book a tour through the cruise ship and only for the duration of that tour. So, in other words... You get off the ship, you put on a bus, you do the tour, you get off the bus, you get in the ship. There's no deviation from that whatsoever because um, immigration, Russian immigration, is right at the ship on the dockside. So if you want to wonder about uh, St. Petersburg or have some flexibility to do your own thing, you do need a Russian visa. Um, and that's quite important um, to know ahead of time so that you're not restricted once you get there because they really are strict and there's, you know, there's no getting around a staunch Russian. So either go with the cruise ship's visa thing, or if you want to do your own thing, you have to apply for a separate one before you leave. That's correct. But if you want to do anything at all beyond that tour on the bus, off the bus, back onto the ship, you may not even go around the corner to the cafe on your own. Oh, is that strict? Yeah, it's that strict. Wow, okay. Now, one of the other things that I'm sure you went to have a look at was the metro. I mean, because that's, that's apparently something else as well. Yes, the Russian metro is very old and very well used and functional. And it was also, it was built during the Soviet era as well, for the people obviously, but it was built to be a palace for the people. That's what it's touted as. And because it's so ostentatiously decorated, it's every, every different metro station has grandiose works of art and, you know, chandeliers and mosaic work again and intricate detail in the station. It's not, you know, we, we're not comparing this to London or Paris where they're purely functional metros. Um, this was designed to be appealing to the people and for them to experience some level of beauty because their lives were were quite grey and, and restrictive in, in that era. And they're still sort of maintained to the same level of beauty, if you like? They are. They are. Very impressive indeed. Gosh, so it's, it's almost like a, a tourist destination. You have to go and have a look at the metro. Absolutely. And every station's completely different. So, you know, it's, it's quite, a, quite a quirky thing to do as you're getting around St. Petersburg. Now, earlier you mentioned the um, you tripped off to, to Peterhof, but you didn't tell us about, I think it's there, there. that's where they've got those jumping fountains, isn't it? Yes. Peterhof is, it's truly vast. And, you know, apart from the, the extensive gardens, within the gardens, there are over 100, about 150 different fountains. Fountains within fountains, there are jumping fountains and dancing fountains and fountains that look or they run through chessboards, if you can imagine that. And then there are others that are suns and flowers and all sorts of things created with water and, you know, with moving water. So, uh, yeah, it is, it's absolutely spectacular, and you cannot begin to imagine it. You have to see it. You need to go, Karen. And, and I do. I really do need to definitely go. <laughs> um, the one thing you also mentioned was that it's a city built across over 40 islands. Yes. I don't think people realize that. No, I didn't realize it at all, um, you know, until I got there. And they're just all these little bridges and canals. And, you know, as you, you don't, you don't re well, even when you're there, you don't really realize that you're crossing bridges all the time to get from one side to the other. It's, it's very efficient. The, you know, the, the infrastructure is great. The roads are excellent. 
So you're not you're not really aware of it. Um, but yes, St. Petersburg's built across 40 islands. When were you there and what was the weather like when you were there? I was there in August and it was absolutely perfect weather. I was only there for about four days, but all four days were bright sunshine and boiling hot. And I do recall being told over and over again by the locals that you've taken four of our sunny days <laughs> because we only have a maximum of 60 in a year. Wow. And when, you know, South Africa has probably 360 in a year, there's, there's very little sunshine in St. Petersburg except in the dead of summer. So November to April is frozen solid and grey and morbid and not the best time to be seeing this really beautiful city. Okay, and it's, it's something you recommend we all go and have a look at, not just me, once in our lifetimes. It's a once in a lifetime experience for sure. So this is now, you, you'd be, we spoke last time about your stay in Stockholm and now St. Petersburg, where did you go from here? From Russia to Estonia. Okay, um, and you ended up at some point in the Arctic Circle. Yes, um, returned back to Stockholm and then went north into the Arctic Circle for a few days just to be able to step inside. And I think when we were talking about Stockholm, you mentioned a little bit about the Arctic Circle. You said you were there in summer, so it was green with grass and flowers and daisies and things. I mean, you don't think that the Arctic Circle looks like that. No, and it was actually hot as well. Uh, really? <laughs> they, they said it was their hottest summer in many, many years. So hot, in fact, that the salmon were dying in the rivers. <gasps> Oh, my goodness. So, yes, and, you know, everybody was in shorts and T-shirts. Oh, what so was the temperature, about 15 degrees or something? Was it, that, was that hot for them? It got to the late 20s one day. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so it was quite hot. Yes, but 15 degrees would be far no- more normal in summer. <laughs> okay. I'd like to actually find out a little bit more about uh, the Arctic Circle. So I'm sorry to do this to you, Kerry, but we're going to have to chat with you again. Um, so would you be prepared to come back and join us for that? I'd love to, Karen. Well, Kerry, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We will chat with you again. Thank you, Karen. Look forward to it. I was chatting there with Kerry Harvey. She's a travel writer. If you'd like to follow her and all her exploits around the world, have a look at her website. It's kerryharvey.com, and that's K-E-R-I hyphen harvey.com. And the reason Kerry was where she was when she's been chatting to us now was that she's been cruising around the Baltic on a ship called Windsurf. It's part of the Windstar line. And if you'd like to find out more about that, you can take a look at the website. It's cruises.co.za or you can call them here in Johannesburg on 11 And that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And a reminder that if you need any information about something you've heard on the show this evening, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to travel on SAFM or email me on travel at safm.co.za. And I'll be back with you again next Monday evening with the Law Report when I'll be joined by attorney Ishmael Mohammed and we'll be talking about property law. So join me then. And it's time now for Stephen Kirker and some nighttime music. Hello, Stephen.